back in the 90s and the mid 90s there was this increased interest in the subject of angels and there is a lot that we can learn there is a lot that we can learn from the Bible and there is even a whole lot that we'll never be able to learn here on earth not until we get to heaven and we ask the Lord directly and we interact with the angels directly but to ask God's direction for this uh, study I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we talk to the Lord. Father, we once again thank you and we praise your name and we ask you, Lord, that you may direct this moment, that everything I say may be said, Lord, under your direction, that I may, I may convey here not my own thoughts, Lord, not my own philosophy, but may I be faithful to the message that you have for us this morning. Help us, Lord, approach your word with humility, and may your Holy Spirit guide us. Anoint my lips and bless every worshiper here. Open up our hearts and minds to understand your word. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So you go to libraries, you go to uh, bookstores. There are bookshelves and bookshelves with books, with titles on angels, and uh, there is an increased interest in the subject. There is an increased interest in spiritual things. I am not sure people are very much interested in religious uh, things, but they are very interested in spirituality, in spiritual things. And so uh, there is a lot of interest, but in spite of this increased interest, there is also a lot of confusion. There is much confusion about the subject, and the impression we have is that people want to master the subject, the ma subject about the angels, in a way to, uh, that's what I hear, in a way to unleash the power that supposedly this angel would have, and that this power would be used for the benefit of the person. And so, while uh, I use the word unleash, it's actually more like trying to harness the power that the angels might have, so that this power could be used for human good. And so there are courses that people take on how to, to find out who is your guardian, guardian angel. There are uh, lessons that people take on trying to find the name of your angel and how to converse with them, how to communicate with them. And not to speak of the great number of angels uh, uh, figurines that people buy and sell and it's uh, another whole market another whole industry industry right there but after all the question i want to ask is do angels really exist to begin with and if so who are the angels are the angels like some people believe the spirit of the dead are the angels friendly are the angels hostile can we talk to them? Can we have any conversation to them, with them? Are they worthy to be praised for what they are, for who they are? Are they worthy to be thanked for what they do? Should we thank the angels? Should we pray to angels? Should we talk to them? And answers to those questions range all the way from mere speculation to private interpretation. But what does the Bible say, right? That's what really matters to us. That's what really matters to me. And I believe to you as well. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible has one word for angel 
in the Greek and one word in the Hebrew. As you may know, the Bible was written, uh, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, and the New Testament in the Greek language. There are some small portions of the Old Testament that were also written in Aramaic. But there is one word that the Bible uses for angel. And in the Hebrew, it's malach. And in the Greek, it's angelos. That's where we get the English word angel. And the meaning of both words in each language is the same. It is messenger. That's the meaning of the word. Now, I should say that the Bible uses the word messenger or the word, uh, the, the Hebrew word and the Greek word for messenger, uses it for uh, any type of messenger. It could be a human messenger, someone who has a message uh, to carry from here to there, from one person to another person. There the word will be used in the Hebrew malach, or in the Greek angelus. And it's also used when it's the case of angels, heavenly angels who have a message from God. So how can we tell the difference? All the difference will be told, we can find out in the context. For example, when you turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. If someone could find that quicker than me and read that for us please. Malachi 3 1. Who can tell me whom this prophecy is talking about? This prophecy is talking about John the Baptist. The one who would come before Jesus and would prepare uh, the way for the Lord. And he's called there what? Eh? He's called a messenger. That's the word messenger that in other instances is translated by angels. So in English, we, we translate it with this difference, with this nuance. In the case there, the prophecy is about John the Baptist. So we say he was a messenger. And you go to Mark chapter 1 verse 2. Mark chapter 1 verse 2. If someone could read that, it's, uh, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy. So there you have. Prepare the way for the Lord. Thank you. So John the Baptist was being called a messenger. Uh, when it's a heavenly being, then the word angel will be used. But there are many other words that the Bible uses to refer to the angels. I can say that uh, overall, the words that are used in the Bible to refer to angels, of course, the primary word is angel. Those words appear in the Bible roughly 300, just about 300 times. 300 times over 55 books of the Bible. And there are many different expressions like morning stars, archangel, Holy ones, ministering spirits, cherubim, seraphim. Uh, almost all books of the Bible have in way, one way or another. And of course, messenger and angel are also used to refer to the angels. Now, what is the nature of the angels? Are the, the angels uh, like human beings? Are they spiritual beings? Well, one thing we can say for sure is that the angels are created beings. They are, not, uh, they are not gods. They don't have life in their own. How do we know that? Well, because the Bible is quite clear. In John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 
John chapter 1, you remember, it starts saying, In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was? And the Word was? God. And then the, the text goes on to say that this Word became flesh, later on in verse 14. Became flesh and dwelt among men. And so we know that the Word John is talking about is whom? Is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God in, in flesh. Now in verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was, nothing, was not anything made that was made. And verse 4 says, In Him was what? Life. So it is in God. God has life. God is the author of life. No other created being has life on their own. And so the angels, angels were also created. The angels are also part of God's creation. And if we go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The apostle Paul goes even further here. And he says, For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible. So he's referring to all created beings, all created things, whether visible or invisible, both in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him, and in him, in Jesus, all things stay together. All things are, hold, are held together. And so the angels were created. They are God's creatures. They are not God's. They are God's creatures. So much so that the Bible several times depicts the angels worshiping God. Because He is the one worthy to be worshipped. The, the one worthy to be praised. And in Ephesians, if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians. I'm, I'm going through several texts because uh, this needs to be proven from the Bible, right? It's not what I say. But Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. Someone could read that please. Yes, so Paul is talking about the whole family. All of God's creatures, the family in heaven and earth. All of God's family inherits their name from God. God is the father of us all. And so God created the angels. They don't have life on their own. They, were, they are not everlasting. They were creatures. But one thing we also know that the angels were created before this world was created. In Job chapter 38, in the book of Job chapter 38 verse 7. Job 38.7 describes when God was creating the, the, the earth. He was laying the foundation of the earth. And the Bible says that right there the morning stars were singing together. And they were praising the Lord. And so if when God was created this world, the morning stars, the angels were already there singing. It means that they were created sometime before. We don't know exactly when. They were created sometime in eternity past. We don't know when. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter. We don't need to speculate about that. All we know is that they were created before we were. 
Now in speaking of the nature of the angels, the Bible is clear to say that the angels, they have a nature that is superior to human nature. That we can find in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7. There in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 7, the apostle Paul, whom we believe wrote the book of Hebrews, is talking of how Jesus, even though he was God, he was made lower, he was made inferior to the angels for just a while. Which means when he became flesh and blood like we are, he became uh, lower than the angels were. And so that means that the angels are a superior order of beings than we are. That's how we can see them. They're invisible. And they can fly. And they have some, some properties, some abilities that we as human beings do not have. And if someone were to ask, how many angels are there? Well, we don't know. We know that the Bible uses figurative language saying thousands of thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands. But in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 22, Hebrews 12, 22, there is another expression there to talk about the number of angels that we have. Who uh, could read that for us? Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 22. Oh, innumerable. And so, uh, we don't know how many angels are there. We know that they are innumerable. There is a, a, a great number of them. Now, what does the Bible say in regard to specific, uh, specific different types of angelic beings? Uh, there is a tradition in Christianity that I'm, I am... Sorry, but at the same time positive to say that it has no foundation in the Bible. That there are at least seven, maybe ten or twelve archangels. I don't know if you know how many times the word archangel appears in the Bible. It appears twice only. Yes, thank you brother Leonard. It appears twice. There are only tw two verses in the Bible where the word archangel appears. One is in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. When Paul is talking about the day when Jesus will come, and will come with a loud trumpet and with the voice of the archangel. The Bible doesn't say with the voice of one of the archangels. The Bible says with the voice of the archangel. And then in Jude, Jude has only one chapter. So in verse 9, the Bible says that the archangel was fighting over the body of Moses. And there we find the name of this archangel. What's the name of the archangel? Michael. You can say it loud and clear because that's what the Bible says. Michael the archangel. It's not Michael one of the archangels. It's Michael the archangel. So there is one archangel. It's Michael. And because Michael the archangel uh, uh, is, you know, stands out in a category of his own, we'll have a, a sermon about that later in this month. It will be the last sermon about Michael the Archangel. Who is Michael? And why is he called Michael? And, and so on and so forth. And what's his ministry? Now, this is the Archangel Michael. The Bible also refers to the angel of the Lord. Uh, and I use, sorry, I use the word Michael here. Let me just say, uh, Michael will come back another time. But Michael is the chief prince. That's how he's described. He's described as the chief prince uh, of God's people. And there are five references only in the Bible uh, about Michael. 
So that will be a subject of another study later on. But the Bible refers to the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appears, this expression appears several times in the Bible. The angel of the Lord. And when you read it, you have the impression that uh, it's talking about one angel that the Lord would have sent. But in every instance where the expression, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord is used, you end up with the, the impression that it is actually the Lord himself that is represented as the angel of the Lord. Another expression in the Bible for heavenly beings is seraphim. Seraphim is mentioned only once in the Bible, actually twice, but only in one instance. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had a vision and he saw God's throne. And he says that he saw seraphims hovering above the throne. Now the word seraph, which is the singular for seraphim, the word seraph is, it means bright or uh, fiery or dazzling. That's to represent how bright, how beautiful those angels were. And the Bible says, Isaiah says that they had six wings. With two wings they covered their, covered their, their, their face. You can speak louder, I'm, I'm kind of deaf. So with two wings he covered, they covered what? Their feet with other two wings they covered? They fly and there were six wings with the other two wings they covered their face. And they, they worshipped the Lord and they were brilliant. The Bible also talks about the cherubim. The cherubim are mentioned more frequently uh, in the Bible. And, and the meaning of the word is what they actually do. They are gatekeepers they are guardians and so the cherubim are the guardians of God's throne and you remember that when Adam and Eve were uh, expelled from the the garden of Eden God placed the cherubim a cherub right there at the gate to guard the gate to guard the way to the to the tree of life so they wouldn't have access to that now there are other heavenly beings that the Bible Bible mentions the Bible mentions four living creatures do you remember that expression? It appears in the book of Ezekiel, and it appears in the book of Revelation. Now in the King James Version, they are called the four beasts, but uh, other translations say four living creatures. Now the description that John makes in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, of these uh, uh, four living creatures, is that they, they have some of the cherubim, they have some, something of the seraphim. And so they are angels, they are heavenly beings. Uh, and we don't need to speculate much about, about who they are or about their nature because they're heavenly beings, they're angels. The Bible also talks about the watcher angels. The Bible also talks about the interpreter angels. And the Bible also talks about the 24 elders in the book of Revelation. Now the 24 elders very likely are not angels, are, are human beings. That's what uh, we believe. But we don't need to speculate about that. All we know is that they are, hum uh, they are heavenly beings. They are in heaven. And they are worshiping God day and night, day and night. But they also have other duties. And that's what we are going to see. Now one question that someone might, might ask is, Are all the angels good? Are all the angels good? Those who are in heaven, right? Those who are in heaven are good. But are evil angels, are there evil angels? 
Yes, there are. No discussion about the subject of angels can actually bypass the issue of the great controversy because it was in the mind and in the heart of an angel, of a very exalted angel that, that this all started. That this cosmic battle between good and evil all started. This rebellion started, originated in the heart and the mind of a, a very distinguished uh, angel. And this angel is, is one of the few angels that the Bible mentions by name. The Bible mentions Michael the Archangel. The Bible mentions Gabriel. And the Bible also mentions Satan, who once was an angel of light, but rebelled against God. And the Bible says that a third of the original host of angels followed him and became rebels against God as well. And so these questions... Uh, are asked if there are good angels and, and if God is good why do bad things happen to good people because of this great controversy that rages on but the Bible also talks about the ministry of the angels and I would say that this is probably the most important aspect of it not so much to speculate about their nature even though the Bible is clear to say that they are creatures. Not so much we speculate about where they live, uh, where the residence is, if they have any, but to find out what their ministry is. And that's what our text here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so the angels have a special ministry to do with those who will inherit salvation. They are working for the salvation of God's people. They are working for your salvation. They are working for my salvation. The angels interact with human beings on God's behalf. The angels may take human form. Do you believe that? Do you believe that angels may take human form? Well, just go back to Genesis 18:19. That's when Abraham was sitting outside his tent and he saw three men. That's what the Bible says. He saw three men coming. And one of them was actually the Lord. And the other two were angels. And they came and they talked to Abraham. They talked to Sarah. Sarah prepared a meal for them. And they ate and after that they left. And so angels can take human form. They can do that. They can interact with God's people. And the Bible describes the angels as having wings. As having eyes in their, in their heavenly angelic state. As being swift and ready to help. And so there are many passages in the Bible that talk about God's wings. Uh, if you go, for example, to Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Someone could read that. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Ruth is a small book, but you can be sure it's right there in your Bible. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Who can read that for us? Yeah. Thank you. So the Bible is saying that Ruth uh, was uh, 
Boaz said that he Boaz said that she went there, she got there, protected under the wings of God. Now, does God have wings literally? He may have, I don't care about that, but all the angels have because the Bible say the Bible says that the angels have wings. The angels have eyes. And so in passages like Ruth 2:12, we believe that that when there is reference to God's wings or there is reference to God's eyes, God is actually implying, employing the angels for his ministry. God is making use of the angels, using the help of them to care for his people. But angels, should they be uh, worshipped? They should not be worshipped. The Bible is clear. Revelation 19.10 in Revelation 22, 9, John was so impressed with what the angel had told him. That heavenly being had uh, shown him so many things. And he was so impressed with the vision that he fell down on his knees to worship the angel. And the angel said, don't do that. Revelation 19 says, don't do that. You must not do that. I'm your fellow servant. I'm a fellow servant of your brother's. Who hold the testimony of Jesus. And then he says worship whom? Worship God and God alone. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So angels are not supposed to be worshipped. Are we supposed to thank our angels for what they do? There is no biblical ground for that. You would be hard pressed to find any passage in the Bible. Where someone has legitimately thanked, thanked the angel. There was an attempt to do so, like John here in Revelation, but the, the angel would reject that. So there is no biblical grounds to even thank the angels because they do a work behind the scenes. It is like when you watch a movie or you think of a play. You can see the actors, you can see the people who are on stage. If there is music, you can see the orchestra playing from the orchestra pit. You can see the conductor leading. But there is a host of people working behind the scenes that you can't see. And without them, the play or the movie would not happen. And they don't take credit. It's the actors who take credit. And so that's the work of the angels. They are commissioned by God to certain tasks. And they do that gladly, joyfully. But they are not interested in taking credit for anything. And so whatever you recognize, whenever you're aware that an angel has done something for you, give thanks to whom? To God, who sent the angels to help you. I was driving one day, this was many years ago, I was driving one day with uh, my wife, and uh, it was a, a two-way uh, uh, road, and we saw a car coming, on the other lane, on the opposite direction. And for some reason, the, the driver lost control and hit the, the median. And the, the car flipped over. It was just enough time for us to pass by before the car would hit us. Right? Right at that moment, I thank God. I thank the Lord because he did send his angel to protect us. Now, I'm not, I'm not unmindful of the situation of the other car. Because I also thank the Lord that nothing major happened to the other person. But the Lord sends his angels to protect us. And uh, I don't know if, 
I mean, I didn't grow up like that. But I know some people grow up uh, sometimes gathering in the evening with friends to tell ghost stories. Now, if we were here to talk uh, about angel stories, not ghost stories, we'd have many stories to tell, I'm sure. Many stories of deliverance. Many stories where the Lord has sent His angel to protect us. I told you a while ago about an, another accident I was involved when I hit the rear of a, a bus and nothing happened. I'm sure that his, my angel put his hand, his, his uh, hand between the car and the bus to protect us so that nothing would happen to us. But deliverance and protection is not the only function, not the only thing that the angels, that the angels do on our behalf. A man called Notley Tidwell. He lived back in the 19th century in the United States. And he was a, a farmer in the northern part of Texas. And he grew up to become a farmer like his dad. And he had been a Christian for a long time. And he had been taught to learn scripture, had been taught to love the Lord. And he would go to church and he built a family on his own. He had eight children, four boys and four girls. And apart from working, going to work every day, at night he, would, he, he liked to play the fiddle in the barn where people were dancing. And that's how he spent his days. He wouldn't drink himself, but people would be there dancing and drinking and he would be playing the fiddle to entertain them. But one thing he had never done actually was to study the Bible for himself. And so he decided he was going to do that. And he read the Bible earnestly. He started from Genesis 1. And at some point he got to Exodus. And he got to Exodus chapter 20. And he got to Exodus 20 verse 8. And he found there that the Bible says that remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And he realized that he had never kept the seventh day Sabbath. He had always been taught to keep the first day Sabbath. And so he was puzzled by that. And it was just awkward because no one around him seemed to be keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. All Christians he knew would go to church on the first day of the week. And he was wrestling with that question. And he was praying to the Lord. And one day after coming, while coming back from the barn, going home, it was near midnight already. And he was walking down home and he was struggling with those thoughts. And he was praying and praying and praying that the Lord would give him some clarification now all of a sudden he sees a man walking alongside him and the man asks him what's the trouble and he shares what the problem is and the man says no there are people who keep the seventh day sabbath i'm going to give you the address if you go to this street and this street number you'll find people who meet there every seventh day every saturday and they celebrate the sabbath there and after some minutes of conversation, the man just vanished. And so uh, Notley got home and was puzzled even more by that. But he decided to take uh, that man's word. And he went to this place, to the address he had given. And sure enough, when he got there, he found people worshipping on the seventh day of the week of the Sabbath. And he told his story. And people were impressed. And to this day... 
to the day of his death rather he could never name the name of the man he could never he described the man no one knew him and so the conclusion was that that man was actually an angel I know a pastor who is from originally from Jamaica and he's he's he has dark skin and at some point he he felt impressed and through a series of circumstances he felt like he had to go to Bulgaria to preach the gospel now Bulgaria you know it's uh, an Eastern European country and uh, at that time at least the majority of the population was Caucasian was white but he felt impressed that the Lord was leading and the doors were uh, open that he would go and preach the gospel there in Bulgaria and so he went he went with his daughter and as he would go every night to preach for the evangelistic series he would face a lot of opposition a lot of opposition but he, he would continue because he believed the Lord was was leading him the Lord had called him for that special purpose now one day while going out to the meetings with his daughter at the end of the afternoon he looked to the other side of the street it was a busy street and looked to the other side of the road and he saw a black man walking the same direction as he was and he looked at the man and the man was looking at him with a kind of a very very peaceful smile and once he, he, he took his eyes off the man and continued to look forward and then at some point he looked back to the man he couldn't see the man anymore and this happened every single day after that but every time he attempted to reach out to the man or to cross the street the man would just vanish and so his conclusion was that that man was an angel that the Lord sent to give him the encouragement that he needed that he was doing God's work there he was not alone if the color of your skin matters uh, at least he knew that was an angel just like him that was there encouraging him and so much more than trying to figure out how the angels are what's the nature the physical nature of the angels is to think about their ministry and more will be said about the angels ministries next week when we come back here when brother Scott Hardy will be preaching I want to call your attention to one thing when we come to church the angels are pleased to hover around this building the angels are pleased to protect us the angels are pleased to sing with us as we sing our worship our worship songs to God the angels are pleased to participate in our worship service so that's why we need to be so careful and respectful and take so much seriously everything we do for God because angels are here that we cannot see but they are here with us Jesus said in John chapter 1 verse 51 Jesus was referring to the vision, to the dream that Jacob had had of a ladder going all the way up from earth to heaven. And there were angels walking back and forth on that ladder. And Jesus said, well, you, you have the story, you had that happen with Jacob, but now you see angels going back and forth from heaven 
walking on the Son of God, on the Son of Man. And I can tell you, now in the time of the end, as we approach the last moments of history in this, of this world, there will be an increased activity, an increased activity of the angels. And you just have to turn to the book of Revelation. And you see angels being dispatched by God to comfort God's people. Angels being dispatched by God to, to start the seven uh, last plagues. Angels who are holding the four winds of the earth. Angels here and angels there. Angels worshiping God. Angels singing praise unto God. There is an intense activity of angels. There is one message. It's a threefold message that the angels of Revelation have for you and for me today. And I encourage you to take your Bibles and open it to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14 verses 6 through to 12. And I would strongly encourage all of us to memorize these verses. So I invite you to read with me Revelation 14 verses 6 through to 12. There are three angels here. John saw three angels. And each one of those angels had a special, a special message. And this is a message for our time. So let's read together. Revelation 14, 6 through to 12. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of the torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Amen. This is a message you and I as Seventh-day Adventists are called to proclaim. The message that very soon the sealing of God's people and the sealing of those who pledge allegiance to the beast will be completed. And when this is completed, there will be a couple of characteristics that will be very distinctive of those who will receive God's seal, the seal of God. They will be people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. 
And so this is the message that we as Seventh-day Adventists need to preach. The three angels' messages. Messages of angels who are doing this not because they have any other interest than your salvation, than my salvation. But remember that as much as the angels are interested in seeing you saved, they also want to see your neighbor saved. They also want to see your spouse saved. They also want to see your children saved. And so this is our calling today. And I invite you to join your voices, to join and recommit yourselves and join these angels in proclaiming these last messages that need to go out to the world we are living now in the last times. May God bless us all today and always.